This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is one reality, and neither mainstream science nor mainstream religions could tell us much about our one reality because, at this point, they're both belief systems. One is atheistic and one is theistic. Neither is engaged in an open-minded pursuit of the truth wherever it may lead, but fortunately we do have abundant and consistent witness from people we used to think were entirely dead. Turns out they're not dead. We now know that they live forever in a part of a greater reality that parallels our own. And what they tell us, among many other things, is that you are an eternal being. You never began, you never will end. Our guest this week is the wonderful Dr. Karen Herrick. She's a counselor who uses the truths gleaned from studying our greater reality to help dysfunctional families in this reality. Karen is also president of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies that's sponsoring the wonderful, wonderful, extraordinary conference on new developments in afterlife communication that's being held in July. And um, we'll be, I, there are commercials they are going to be playing about the conference. I'll talk about it a bit later as well. But go to ASCSI.org for more information. This is going to be a wonderful, groundbreaking conference. Karen joins us for the third time to talk about her work. And she's also going to talk about the Academy and the conference. Welcome, Karen. I'm delighted to have you here. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. So we, we've talked in the past, you and I, about your history. Let's just talk a little bit about it, because some people may have maybe just meeting you for the first time. What is it? What is it that got you to doing this stuff? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a journey, like for everyone. Um, I was raised in an alcoholic family. My father was alcoholic, and uh, I didn't believe there was a God. My mother was Catholic. My father was Protestant, and so they were always trying to figure out who was right. Oh and my I just lord! Knew, I just knew that. Um, there wasn't a God that was, you know, around all this chaos. At least that was my idea. Um, yeah. But there was something about nature. And um, I, I, would, I was raised in upstate New York, so I'd walk in the woods, uh, you know, as a young adolescent and adolescent and just look at trees and flowers and spend a lot of time there by myself. And so I, I had felt there was a presence of some kind in the woods and that, um, you know, nobody, there had to be something that created nature. So that was how I started. Um, you really? know, deciding what what did it mean for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and then years later, uh, the American Indians, uh, you know, believe in nature. And so I was I would read a lot of their information. And um, and then I, I was raised Protestant. So I raised some of I have three girls, two out of the three girls were raised Protestant. And then um, eventually I decided to get wait, an wait. education. How did you raise the other one? I'm curious to know. Well, she really didn't. Her when I was married and divorced twice. So her father was an atheist. And uh, she did go to Catholic school, grammar school, and you so she did get. The- Everybody is screwed up. I'm so sorry. That's unfortunate. <laughs> oh my it's goodness. Rude. Well, and religion just wasn't something, you know, that was that important eventually. Um, but she did get some, you know, some. 
Um, I remember the Catholic principal calling me one time and saying when she was in like first grade, they didn't have a baptismal certificate for her, right? And I said, well, sister, she doesn't have a baptismal certificate. <laughs> she was oh my. not baptized. And so did they insist that she be baptized? or what did, How did they handle that? How did the school handle that? Well, there was this yeah. silence. And so I said, sister, I would be glad to have her baptized. And I am the best shot you've got even though I am not the Catholic you know, parent. Oh, and wow. so I had her baptized, and she continued at the school because she loved it. And I, I, was always, um, I always thought that they should have some kind of religious training so that I was always you know, kind of countering what he believed. Um, and then, of course, he became so alcoholic that I just left. But um, anyway, so that was that story. And then I started working, going to school and getting my degrees and went to Rutgers and got my master's in social work, and they had an alcohol minor. And I thought, well, my father was alcoholic, and my ex-husband, you know, was drinking himself to death, and so maybe okay. I should take this, right? Yeah. So I took the courses and loved it. I mean, I loved it in that I was I was awakened in that this was my life. And I, some of the stuff, there's Dr. Cochran, I don't know if she's still alive, but I was just, I was always raising my hand saying, could you please repeat that? Could you please repeat that? Yeah. Because I just couldn't get it all because it was so real to me what she was talking about at, that happened in this alcoholic family. Sure. So then I came out of that and um, decided to... Um, you know, be a social worker and work with alcoholics and their families. And I started a course at Brookdale Community College here in uh, Lincroft called Alcohol Health and Human Behavior. And um, I taught that for a couple of years, and it's still being taught, I think, uh, which because I wanted people to have um, knowledge of what alcoholism was. And that time, nobody really talked about it. Um, and I had to go to graduate school to to learn about alcoholism in the family. So of course, now it's, you know, it's much more discussed and people understand, you know, what an right. alcoholic and dysfunctional family is. And then eventually in working with clients, I had a spiritual experience of my own doing some holotropic breath work where you lay down to music and your chakras are activated. And I had a, um, an experience where the Holy Spirit went through me. And I didn't wow. know what that was for about two years. Um, what did that but feel I knew like? That, pardon me? What did that feel like? Oh, it was her. I was... Well, it was amazing. I was like in the birthing position, you know. Are you late? I don't know if you've ever done holotropic breath work, but no. they give you, they, they they start a meditation and they play this music that activates your chakras. So the first one is all fear-based music, like you know, um, native drumming and that kind of stuff, and and the music just continues. And so you lay there and there you're told to breathe, and you breathe hev- heavily on the out breath. So what you're doing is you're putting yourself in an altered state of consciousness. Oh, and um. So I, I actually, you know, you lay there and you have all these feelings in your body and little, like little hands are in your stomach. I mean, it's just amazing what you feel. Really? Then really. all of a sudden I went in the birthing position where I just picked my feet up because you're laying on the floor, you know, on a pillow and blanket. And I felt this, um, I was, and they always tell you, don't think. And it was the first time in my life, I think, where I was told, don't think. So uh, <laughs> I, I went back to breathing. So I kept myself in the state. And then I felt I would breathe, and you're breathing heavily, and then I would felt, as I'm breathing out, there's another breath coming into me. Oh. And I, I thought, whose breath is that? And then I thought, oh don't think, just, just breathe, right? right. So it just, kept, it just kept coming into me. And um, I felt like this whole thing lasted 20 minutes, and I was on the floor for like two and a half hours. Oh. So you lose, in a spiritual experience, you lose, you uh, lose you know, time. time. You don't right. know how much time it is. And right. then uh, some of the leaders came over, and 
I just kept breathing, and, and one guy put his hands by my shoulders, and he said, hold on to my wrist. And so I did, and he said, keep pushing. You've got to push. And so I was pushing, and I'm thinking to myself, where is my mother? And I thought, that's a weird thought, but keep breathing. So I did. And then eventually what happened was I experienced my own rebirth. I experienced my own birth. And I'll tell you, I think dying oh. has to be easier than that. Really? <laughs> so, wow. Um, you know, it was just amazing. And then when I stood up, I was with 21 people who had come for this one-week training for transpersonal psychology. And I thought they were kind of weird in the beginning, like a few days before. But I knew then there was a God, number one. And I knew that we were all connected. And I knew that we were all connected to the rest of the world. And just in that, I mean, the feeling of awe and, and numinosity. Yeah. And you can't really, it, you know, William James was correct when he said, you don't have the words to explain a spiritual experience. That's you just right. don't because it's at another dimension and our words just don't fit. <clears throat> but right. I felt like something really interesting it happened to me and then you go and you draw a picture and I actually drew a rebirth picture with a flower and the sun and grass and all that and then um I thought I looked around and everybody's having their own kind of experience and we went to lunch then to ground you and then after that we had a group where we explained or supposedly explained our picture I had no explanation for my picture other than it was a flower and sun and and um Jackie Small, who was a social worker leading the group then, said, well, that's a rebirth picture. You had a rebirth. Now, and I was very meek and mild at that time, <laughs> never really yeah. would ask a lot of questions because I felt crazy. I mean, I felt like whatever I just had, number one, I can't explain it. And I know yeah. there's a God. I mean, that's really interesting, you know. Yeah. So it took me well, two so, years. So how old were you, Karen, when this happened? Oh, that was in 1987. So you were like happened. a child. Yes. That's right. Let's just say that. <laughs> I had just started my private practice here in Red Bank. So, <laughs> so all right, but and you then, were very you young. Know, and that's, that's interesting and transformative. I think a lot of people who are doing the kind of work you do have had that kind of extraordinary God touch. Um, yeah. That, that experience that takes you out of wherever you used to be, all your old belief systems, um, and puts you in a whole other dimension of understanding and that's right. what starts this journey for people it's not where you get in the end but that's what starts you on the journey well that's that can do it and also what i found with my clients is like they they are in a crisis and they're on their knees just saying if there is a god help me that uh -huh. can also start it because sure. then something weird happens light comes in or something or they just feel different you know um, and they don't know what happened to them. So then they hopefully come to somebody who can help them, you know, explain it. But what, what I'm saying is, I mean, I've been meeting more and more people who have done basically what I've done and what you've done, which is sort of make this a central part of their life's journey. And um, that seems to be something that's triggered when we're young by an extraordinary experience. Right. Um, and and that's um, it's as if we're selected to do this. I mean, I think we selected ourselves, but we volunteered before we were born to do it. But it's yes, interesting to me that you had that kind of experience as well. Now, tell yeah. people what you do now. Um, what what is it that you're doing to to help people? How are you using this to help people? Okay, well, I have a private practice in Red Bank, and and people come for various reasons. They're depressed. They have bipolar. They're from an alcoholic or dysfunctional family. They're they're in transition of some kind or grief of some kind that they cannot seem to get through. 
And so I started um, several years ago uh, finding a couple of mediums that I trusted in the area. And then if they were in chronic grief, I would send them to the medium. You know, and sometimes I have to talk them into it. Um, because I, what I think is that you, your loved one will come through or someone up there in a positive ancestor role will come through and tell you where your loved one is so that you can continue your life uh-huh. because you need to get out of this chronic grief and you need some sure. proof that they are still there, right? Sure, So anyway, absolutely. That's, how I, that's how I started. And then people come in and they tell me, you know, different experiences because, of, of course, out there I think I must be known as the the kind of California therapist who's in New Jersey and she understands <laughs> right. that kind of stuff, right? So go and talk to her because people will come for just normal things like divorce or transition. And on the way out, they'll say, oh, Karen, I just want you to know that when I was five, I saw my dead grandfather in the garden and he talked to me and I didn't know him, but I knew he was from pictures. And I know you like that kind of stuff. And then they leave. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, it's interesting. Wow. I get all kinds of information, you know, from them. And now, of course, being president and working with the academy uh, for several years, um, I've been studying spiritualist philosophy and spiritist philosophy. And a spiritualist um, religion is, is from the Protestant religion, where they just broke off and they took on the added belief that they were spirits always helping you in this unseen world, as William James would say. And so they believed that, and then that they became a different Protestant denomination. And they're still, you know, they're still around. There, there's a lot of spiritualist churches in England, and there's some in the United States. And, yes. um, and you find these people like at Lilydale, New York, yes. you know, they have, um, yes. you know, communes and stuff. And then um, from that, that religion came the spiritist religion, who also added the belief that reincarnation is true. Karen, so, we're about to take a break, but why don't you get, give your website so people know how to contact you, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll take a quick break and be back. But uh, how, okay. how would they contact you? Uh, they can contact me at um, Karen at KarenHerrick.com, and Karen is spelled K-A-R-E-N, and Herrick is H-E-R-R-I-C-K. And Great. that's my email. And there's also a um, spiritualexperiences.info. I have a new website. And um, that's a new website that they can go to. Wow. Okay. My name is Roberta Grimes. You're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Every week at this time, you and I spend an hour together working to better understand the one glorious reality in which we live. And we'll be right back. If you want to know more about what really happens when we die, or if you're just curious about some of the things discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the friendly seekers at AfterlifeForums.com. Roberta Grimes administers a growing community in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. It really is possible to know the truth. Give yourself the gift of understanding. Share your thoughts with people who are eager to listen. Finally, get your big questions answered. Afterlifeforums.com. The truth about your own eternal nature turns out to be even more wonderful than your most optimistic hopes. When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned a lot more than what happens when we die. She also discovered that we actually are perfectly loving, eternal beings. To help us explore who we really are, she's begun a multi-generational fictional saga that she calls 
Letters from Love. Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money begin the series, and Letter from Wonder is due in the fall. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Also, enjoy Roberta's My Thomas, the beautiful tale of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Her new novel, Rich and Famous, is a romance set in the go-go 80s. Check out robertagrimes.com to learn more. Knowing the truth about our eternal lives changes everything. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Our guest is the wonderful Dr. Karen Herrick, who's helping a lot of people who have had dysfunctional families, and I had one, you and I have talked about that, Karen, um, right. families in which someone uh, had a psychological problem, a parent with a, uh, who's alcoholic or who has, is in some sense dysfunctional, can be devastating to the children in the family. Um, much as we'd like to think we get over our childhood traumas, uh, I'm coming to think that in some way we never do. Um, they hit us when we're very vulnerable, when we're young, and we're learning from people who don't know themselves what the heck is going on. So um, it can be really traumatic. Uh, tell us about that, Karen. What, 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 do, what happens to adult children of alcoholics? Well, um, they think they're different from other people. Um, and sometimes I think that's a positive thing because, you know, um, they're also more, more idealistic and not necessarily religious, but because they are different from other people, I think that something does happen to them. You know, they do have unique experiences that they then try to figure out. Um, they guess at what normal behavior is because they didn't live normally, although <laughs> we say, you know, in the helping professions that normal is dysfunction. And that everybody's, you know, driving around at night, looking in the windows and thinking, oh, there's the normal family, right? Um, but anyway, oh, they, oh they my. don't they, every, Everybody's dysfunctional. Is that what you're saying in one everybody's way or another? Everybody's got something, you know? Um, and they have difficulty in life, like um, following projects through from beginning to end. Sometimes they procrastinate a long time. And I think that's a lot of fear that they don't feel that they're good enough, you know, to finish. Or maybe they haven't been taught how to be organized either. Um, they judge themselves, um, you know, very hard, and they have difficulty having fun, and they sometimes um, take themselves very seriously, except for the clown in the family. There's usually a role if they have a few children. The fourth child is usually the clown who will do anything to get positive or negative attention, but most of them hmm. just are very serious. And they grow up with these three rules, don't talk, don't trust, and don't feel. So then if, if you grow up with those, you kind of you know, take a, a backward step in life and you don't speak up oh, as much sure. as you. Oh, yes. Or maybe you have a lot of rage and then you speak up too much. You know, it's, it's a very um, cool. black and white kind of situation. Um, they feel different. They overreact to changes beyond their control. They have difficulty with intimate relationships, so that's a lot of why they come here. Um, and they're very loyal, even in the face of evidence that the loyalty is undeserved. Hmm. And then sometimes they're very impulsive. Huh. Well, that's that's very interesting. I I suppose we're all different. My, in my particular case, my alcoholic father raised me to be the first female president of the United States. Why he would wish that on his own child, I have no idea. But right. uh, that that really actually screwed me up more than you would think, because right. it made me feel. Um, Bill Clinton is just a hair, a few days younger than I am, and it made me feel when he was elected that I had failed my father. 
even right. though the last thing I would want to do would be in politics, my lord. Um, right. But but that's the kind of thing I guess that that they do, and they probably don't even understand that they're damaging their children when they have great quote great aspirations for them. No, because they're very immature. You know, they're stuck at the oral uh, stage of development, right? But he yeah. would have thought that my daughter's going to be president because in the narcissism, and they're all narcissistic in some way usually, um, yeah. then he could be grandiose and then he could be proud of what he produced. I guess. I, I Actually, I, fortunately, um, I was able to put that to bed pretty quickly by making making the loop saying, who the heck would want that life, and going on and doing what, what seemed to be more important to me. I think I get dealt with it better than I might have, given uh, how deeply it was. You know, it was sort of like a bomb planted in my head to go off, and I and yes. I dealt with it better than I would have thought. That's great. Okay, Karen, tell us about the Academy. Well, the Academy has been in um, um, around for about 40 years, and I'm the first female president. So it started out with just a group, I think, of um, PhDs and maybe lawyers and just professional people who were interested in life after death, and that was, you know, years ago. And um, where they would get together once a year and both all give papers to each other on these, these different topics. And then eventually they started having other speakers come in. And then they had a newsletter that comes out every two months. And um, just recently we have a website now and um, there's a free newsletter on there. And I write a column on there called Spirituality Matters. So you can go to ASCS i.org and then hit the spirituality matters button and then go on to the different um dates of those uh, newsletters and i think you'll find that very interesting but that's how it started <laughs> with just a group of people that were you know interested in this subject and where else could you go other than you know then uh, you know 40 years ago other than to start your own little organization yeah i but they I had years and them. years of all these sorry workshops no, you well, know that I, yeah i, I it, you're right they, they were talking to themselves for a long period of time yeah, but that but they were what they were saying was so interesting. For years, yeah. um, in the mid nineties, I would just I always said I would get to a conference. Never quite did, but I would buy their proceedings, get them in little tapes, and listen to the tapes because they were so interesting. They were really doing cutting edge work in this field when nobody else was doing it, and do, yeah. and they were doing this work really well. Um, yeah. It amazed me when I joined to find that that they really were still focused on um, people who uh, had expertise in this field. But now the great news is that they've opened up all this wonderful knowledge and all this expertise to the world. Right. So that the conference being held in July, the 10th to the 13th of July in Scottsdale, in a hotel, which I can attest to you, you won't know it's July in Scottsdale. Um, right. Right. Perfect hotel for for a, a convention, but or conference, um, but that one is open to the world, and quite literally, people are coming from all over the world, not just presenters but also attendees. It's quite wonderful and amazing, um, and most of the people coming are just interested, which is kind of what I've hoped for for the academy all along to open itself to people and and who are only interested and then give them this opportunity to have to interface with have lunch with talk with the experts so right. it's going to be just a fabulous conference you know wonderful job putting it all together it's just going to be great I'm looking forward to it I can't wait yeah I feel the same way so so tell us about some of the the presenters who are going to be there 
Well, um, let's see. There's going to be a lady from, I forget her name now, but she's from Brazil. And Sonia Rinaldi, yes. Yes, yeah. Sonia. She talks to people on the phone, uh, spirits on the phone, and has like, you know, the, the earthly, earthly loved one there. And then a later that's played back and um, amplified and they can hear the, you know, the spirit um, coming in. And there'll be Gary Schwartz from the University of Arizona who is developing a program where he is trying to contact the other side. Uh, he studies mediums and has um, um, done a lot of well-known mediums that, you know, that we know of that are like 85% accurate in their readings, which is just wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I think one, one that he studied was um, uh, John Edward, who I think was over 90% rated. What's great about the way he studies mediums is he just studies them. It's yes. double, trip, double or triple blind. The, he doesn't know. The medium doesn't know who he's reading. The person being read doesn't know until one second before or even then doesn't know who the medium is on the other side of the screen. Sometimes they're right. in different rooms. And, and there's no possible way. Sometimes the, the, resp- the person being read can't even um, uh, uh, speak. Just plain, the medium has to just do that reading, totally, totally blind and certified to be blind by uh, by by a scientist in a laboratory setting. It's boggling to me that that works, but it does work. And and the word the the book that convinced me, it took me this book to convince me psychic mediums know what they're doing because, I mean that's a whole other story. But I really didn't believe in them until I read this book. It's called Afterlife Ex- the Afterlife Experiments. I think that's what's called. But um, our, any, our book that we just put out? No, no, the the one that Gary did that proved that that oh, psychic okay. Afterlife are real. Experience. Yeah, okay. Yes, the afterlife experiments, and he did such an extraordinary job with that book. I recommend it to anybody who feels as I do, I did at the time. Yeah, that can't possibly work. Well, he proved it does, and um, yes. for someone to get a ninety percent accurate rate in a situation like that is so far beyond chance that um, basically he proved that. There are good psychic mediums. It does work. I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. But I get, I'm very enthusiastic about Gary. I think he's just extraordinary. Well, I'm enthusiastic. Everybody's going to have their own little piece, you know. And my yeah. piece is kind of interesting because um, I've had people that come in here and they have different psychic abilities. And in a dysfunctional family, you know, they're considered the weird ones. Well, you know, she's a little off. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, and it does run in families. Psychic ability runs in families. And then it's, what's interesting is right when I'm thinking about, well, now what am I going to talk about in mediumship, I get this call from this woman, and um, she says that she got my name off of a, a, a spirit website, which I still don't know what website she got my name from. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. She, she said, I'm from an alcoholic family. I don't talk to my, you know, my family of origin. I, I'm a single mom, and um, uh, I have all those issues, and I, I'm in 12-step programs. And she said, and I'm seeing dead people under my bed at night, and it's scaring me. And so I said, okay. Um, so anyway, because of all I know, I said, well, you know, when would you like to come in? And so she did. And um, so my talk is on the making of a medium and how all of these different psychic things are happening to her and how she started this psychic ability. She was just, you know, a normal single mom, you know, in the world, feeling like I have nobody, right? And But I'm doing it. I'm going to 12-step programs. I'm not drinking anymore, and I'm, I'm learning how to become a better person. But life was still this, you know, why me? Why, why don't I have any help? So she gets on her knees one night, and she prays. And she yeah. says, God, I need help. I need you to help me. Life is too hard for me. And she does this for three months. She just keeps asking God to help her. 
And then she's the persistent. I, I, I'm surprised you didn't give up at some point. Well, but she didn't because you, that's what you learn from dysfunction. You know, we get some good things from dysfunction. We, we learn to be persistent and we think oh. life is supposed to be hard, right? So we right. keep trying, right? Good so anyway, the, the, the psychic stuff starts to come and, uh, and at first they're menacing faces and they show her, you know, grueling kind of things. And oh. so then she gets a coach, a medium coach that tells her, you know, they um, make the house um, you know, we use sage and all that stuff, and she paints her bedroom blue and does all these things that some mediums do in order to keep the negative spirits away, which I'm writing about and will tell you about. And then um, now the good ones have come in. And um, so, you know, and, and really it's been a conflict for her. Do I really want to do this? You know, because um, her family always thought she was weird. Anyway, she said she grew up in this family knowing something was really wrong, and her mother was very passive. It kept saying, oh, dear, you're just misunderstanding. No, your father didn't mean that, and that didn't really happen. Oh, and so yeah. her reality was always being told that it wasn't correct. Yeah. And then you can imagine, now she gets this reality from the psychics, you know, the spirits, and um, I can't tell anybody this is happening. My family thinks I'm nuts anyway, oh, right? Oh, right, right. But anyway, it's such an interesting thing, the way she gets the energy, the way her body feels when the energy comes in, and all the different... Uh, she started doing some readings um, when she first got the medium coach and, and had about 10 or 15 people that she... And she was right on. She really got the information. Um, wow. You know, it was valid, validated. And so now she stopped for a while. She's going to stop for a year and just kind of make this her her thing and really uh, hone in on her skills so um it's really interesting to see how it just came into her life and and how she reacted to it that, so, so she's eventually me. going to be a, a psychic who a medium who puts herself out to do that and for people what do you mean will, will, will she do it professionally do you think oh she will yeah uh, that's what we've talked about and that's what her guides have told her and her guides yeah. told her to come here they said to come here that I, that I was well known and that I would help her, and it was really interesting. So I thought, well, that's a pretty good stamp of approval, right? I'll say, I'll say, and then, right. And then, and then she comes into Red Bank, and I'm in the historic section of Red Bank, which is just a two block area of these old houses. And, and um, she says, "Oh, this is a wonderful area. There's lots of spirits on this street," <laughs> wow. which I never thought about. <laughs> yeah, there would be. Right. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's interesting. So you see people in your uh, office as well. Uh, uh, that's primarily what you do is people come to Red Bank. Yes, they come here. Uh huh. And I see people on Skype and FaceTime, and I, we do phone sessions. Okay. Well, that's so. good. Well, so anybody, anybody from anywhere, could contact you then. Yes, that's right. Uh huh. It's Karen. And what at- I know now is that psychic phenomena is a natural aspect of our of our existence here. Yes. That we have psychic energy flowing through us all the time. Yes, and whether, whether we know it or not. A lot of people yes. turn it off in childhood, but um and then then they still sometimes, as with that woman, get recruited anyway, um right. by by spirits to do this work. But you're right, it's perfectly natural talent. It is. And that's what I think, you know, we should try to develop a consensus about, that these things can and do happen. And about 30 to 50% of the population have had some kind of a psychic experience, like, you know, talking to their dead relatives or a near death or oh, yeah. uh, whatever they, they want to call it. So what I, what I want to do is help develop the consensus so that we get over the 50% mark. We could say 50 to 60%, because once we do that, people are really going to start to accept what we're saying. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing to have done this work, and I'm sure you feel the same way all our lives. And the evidence that this is true is so 
overwhelming that uh, anybody who open-mindedly studied even some of it would have to admit we, we do live forever. All of this is real. And yet it's still being scientifically stonewalled and debunked. Yeah. I mean, people are, tr- are sincerely trying to make people, you know, don't look at the, don't look at the pretty pony, uh, you know, look at this other pretty pony and, and forget uh, these truths that are right in front of your face. But you're right. If most people have had an experience like this, um, you know, the they'll no longer be able to say the emperor doesn't have any clothes because, uh, or the emperor does have clothes because we've all seen him naked at one point or another. Um, That's right. So, That's so right. Uh, it's it's going to happen all at once, I think, and it will happen in this century. Although, when in this century, um, it's hard to know because it depends on how stubborn um, the scientific community is in trying to keep the the sea held back. Well, I just know spirits are everywhere, and they'll always exist. And so what I you know, encourage people to do is, what's, whose thought is that that's coming into you? And when you keep getting the same thought, well, then act yeah. on it. I would say, you know, Al-Anon always said, if you get it three times, do it. Really? Three time, yeah, three times is the number. Th- th- number three stands for communication of any kind, you know, musical, artistic, oh. verbal. And oh. so if you get it three times, some, some spirit's trying to tell you or positive ancestor is saying, come on, Karen, do this, you know. Yeah. Um, call that shop and see if you want to give that workshop. And I've started, I, I, in the beginning of my practice, which was, you know, almost 30 years ago, I gave workshops about alcoholism in the family and went all over the state doing that. And now I'm, I'm just going, I'm going to talk about near death downtown at one of these, you know, uh, magical uh, rock stores. And, and I'm going to start doing that again to get some people really, you know, magical rock stores. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, they have all these new age books and, you know, oh, rocks. Uh, and, yes, I know just what you mean. I just think it's a great way to frame it. I know, it's a wonderful place to go. So I'm just going to try to find more people here in my area that believe in this. Although, you know, I have my clients, but I'm, I'm trying to go out there and get more of a professional set of people that, because oh, most therapists think what I do is still think, you know, I, I think there's only about oh. 25% of therapists that believe in what I'm doing. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's, uh, that's kind of tragic, actually. We, we need to take another break, and when we come back, um, I'll explain one of the ways in which it's especially tragic. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You never began, you never will end, and really knowing that fact changes everything in your life. Our guest is the wonderful Dr. Karen Herrick, and we'll be right back. to know more about what really happens when we die, or if you're just curious about some of the things discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the friendly seekers at AfterlifeForums.com. Roberta Grimes administers a growing community in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. It really is possible to know the truth. Give yourself the gift of understanding. Share your thoughts with people who are eager to listen finally get your big questions answered afterlifeforums.com the truth about your own eternal nature turns out to be even more wonderful than your most optimistic hopes when roberta grimes studied the afterlife evidence she learned a lot more than what happens when we die She also discovered that we actually are perfectly loving, eternal beings. 
To help us explore who we really are, she's begun a multi-generational fictional saga that she calls Letters from Love. Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money begin the series, and Letter from Wonder is due in the fall. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Also, enjoy Roberta's My Thomas, the beautiful tale of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Her new novel, Rich and Famous, is a romance set in the go-go 80s. Check out robertagrimes.com to learn more. Knowing the truth about our eternal lives changes everything. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Karen Herrick about the ways in which people are harmed by the fact that all of this truth is being stonewalled. And one of the ways in which I, which comes to mind is the fact that so many uh, uh, therapists who might have attempted to do some of the more exotic things, I'm thinking of spirit releasement, for example, um, apparently it is true that it's possible, quite possible, to be uh, possessed by the spirits of people who are no longer in bodies and who are disgruntled or unhappy. Um, and they can cause, especially if you're an alcoholic, if you're an alcoholic and you get drunk in a bar, you can be pretty sure you're carrying around a few people who shouldn't be there. Um, because dead, dead um, alcoholics or addicts of any kind um, we'll hang around the places that where people are likely to become under the influence of drugs or alcohol, and that weakens our um, our ability, our psychic ability. We think of it as an aura to protect ourselves. And lo and behold, we end up picking up hitchhikers. Well, in the in the last uh, decade of the previous century, hard to even think of that now. But in the in the 1990s, there were some actually some psychotherapists who did spirit releasement work, and they were um, they lost their licenses and lost their um, their mat malpractice insurance just for trying to help. This this is so extraordinary to me, but it's true. Um, right. And and so obviously the scientific community would rather have people walking around impaired, uh, damaged for life, rather than get them help. If this is the only way to help them. Why can't we try? But apparently right. that was not allowed. Well, we all know that if you've gotten a thesis, right, your thesis has to say what everybody else said. That's oh, one no. of the rules in education. So you can only go so far in saying anything new. Um, so, for instance, when I got my thesis on spiritual naming spiritual experiences, I, I went a little further with, of course, I had Raymond Moody and and I, I brought out William James and Carl Jung from psychology that most people don't study. Um, so you can do that. But you, you have a very fine line there. Of you have to say what everybody else said. But guess what? William James and Carl Jung, has, they haven't been talked about enough. So I could say, you know, oh, they were right. um, psychologists who said this could happen. Right, right. And who studied it. And so then you could do it. If, but it's a long, you know, a fine line is what I'm saying. One of also, the things... 
when well, you ahead. talk about spirits coming in to the alcoholic and the coming around the drug addict, what those spirits want to do is at, for when that person passes out from alcohol or drugs, the spirit will go into that body and stay yes. there until the person yes. comes back out. Yes. Um, I, I think I, I didn't. This was one of the last things I was willing to believe was true because I hate it. Um, But there's so much evidence of it that uh, I don't think anybody who studied the evidence uh, and who understands what's really going on in the greater reality uh, uh, isn't going to say, okay, that's probably happening. We should do something about it. Um, And then what's alarming is, of course, that the scientific community doesn't accept any of this. And, And, you know, it's kind of crazy, Karen, because I've got, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book now as well called The Fun of Staying in Touch about afterlife communication. And, um, what shocks me is that the early physicists, early quantum physicists, um, early part of the 20th century, they all talked about what they had found. They all knew yeah. what they had found. And right. um, I sprinkle those, these quotes all through the book. There's a ton of them, and and the 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 hero, the great hero, uh, is Max Planck uh, of of quantum physics. He won the Nobel Prize for for basically codifying, discovering, and 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 setting forth quantum physics in the early part of the 20th century in 1918. Well, you would think what he would say would be taken seriously, wouldn't you? But they ignored him. He yeah, was talking a- about this till the end of his life, and they ignored him. Yeah. There's all kinds of people. I, I was just reading about Franz Mesmer, uh, 1724 to 1815. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew about animal magnetism, something about magnets and how we, right. we um, attract certain things. Well, Franz Mesmer, he was doing uh, Reiki healing, a hand, laying on the hands. What he really? said was there was this spirit fluid, there was a fluid, and it was in the, um, in the planet, and we had a fluid in us. And when we were in disease, the fluid in us was, was messed up somehow. So what he would do is he laid people on a bed. He put magnets around them so they could, he could uh, draw this fluid in or the spirit of the fluid, uh, psychic energy. And then he would do hands-on, laying on hands, where you don't really touch the person, just over their body. And uh-huh. the people were getting, being recovered from diabetes and tuberculosis. And, I mean, they were, he was getting phenomenal results of hands-on healing. And who knew that mm. about Mesmer? I never knew that, no. right? No, no. And then the king oh. sent a group of men, to, well, go see what he's doing. Everybody's talking about it, you know. Benjamin Franklin headed that committee, <laughs> and they went and they, and they watched what he was doing, and they said, well, he wasn't really doing much, except he, he, the people imagined they were better, so they got better. And I said to myself, <laughs> well, isn't that great? I mean, even yeah. that's great, right? Yeah. Right. But there's right. Mind over matter. Say, no, it is. It is. Our, right? our minds can make us sick or our minds can make us healthy. But he was uh, really healing them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. With, with, no, with the psychic energy that was coming through him. So if, uh, if you think about the pain that has been caused over the past two thousand years by science's repeated and constant refusal to even look at the possibility that this evidence might be right. It right. it is greater than the pain caused by every war, and I mean this in all of history, because it affects every single human life. All of our lives are being damaged by this um, stonewalling by mainstream science of of the truth. Basically, who would who would think they would be willing to destroy people's lives this way? But they are, and repeatedly willing to destroy people's lives. Yeah. Oh, well, very and that's upsetting. Why I think if, if we develop a consensus from the yes. population that these yes. things are happening, it won't matter what mainstream science says. 
Right. It's going to be a, a bottom-up revolution. This is not going to yes. come from the top. The people who should be discovering the truth will instead be the last to accept it. And the question is, why? Why do you think that is? Why do I think what is? Why do you think they're unwilling to accept the truth? Because, because most of them come to, they have it in front of them all the time. Why, why do well, you think that they don't accept the truth? I don't think they have it in front of them. I think they're so closed off that they won't see it. They're in denial. And they stay in denial because they're going to lose their nice little cushy job if anybody can pray and something like this can happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that could be it. It's going to mess uh, up their whole system. Of their whole yeah. belief system is going to be messed up. So why let that in at all? Yeah. Um, they, uh, one of my favorite... <laughs> I. A guilty pleasure of mine is Hank Green, um, SciShow.com. I, I love his little, he does little YouTubes, three, four, five minutes long about science stuff. And he's this, you know, young guy. He looks about 12, but I think he's in his 30s. Um, and his, his shows are fun. And I sort of use them to unwind, uh, you know, when I'm getting ready for bed. But okay. he did one the other day about taboos in science, as if it were oh my goodness, look at this new interesting thing. There's taboos in science. And there's a name for it, which I can't recall right now, that the scientists themselves use. And it is the name of somebody who, in the early part of the 19th century, was telling doctors that they should wash their hands, that that would help to prevent childbed fever. Right. Now, this is common sense, right? Because childbed fever was a, was a blood infection that caused many, many women to die because people who hadn't washed their hands first or went from patient to patient or whatever... Right. We're delivering babies and infecting the women. Well, the doctors were so horrified that this man was saying that um, um, uh, that they were somehow damaging their patients. This was their fault. They hounded him out of medicine. He died in, I think, 1865 in an insane asylum. Shortly thereafter, of course, the germ theory of uh, of, of disease was propounded. And suddenly now everyone is saying he was right. And so right. they actually call... Without any sense of, of, of self-examination, they call these taboos, uh, they relate these taboos to his name, this poor man wow. who just propounded a theory that turned out to be right. And um, I, I said this to, you know, Craig Hogan, he was on my show, we were talking about this, and, um, and he, he had a whole series of people who in science had put forth a theory which was later proven to be right, and all of them were hounded for years. Some of them outlived the hounding and became heroes. Some of them never did. They died. They died considered crazy. Right. So yes. there is that risk if you accept or even are willing to study something that is not uh, within the sort of pantheon of, of truths that science right. scientists are now willing um, to um, uh, you know to consider. If you go a little bit over the edge, they will destroy you. And these right. people have families. They've got to feed their kids. They want to be able to look in the mirror in the morning without feeling stupid. So they do the easy thing, which is yeah. one of the reasons why Gary Schwartz is one of my big heroes, because he's a scientist working at the University of Arizona, and he's, he's going to pursue the truth wherever it goes, and he doesn't care what they say. And Good. to me, that's heroic for a scientist to do that. I think he's the only one at this point doing this kind of research in a, in a laboratory setting at the university, um, at any university. Right. Quite an extraordinary man. Yeah, I can't wait to meet him. 
No, he's oh, he's just he's a force of. I say this about people a lot, but this one really is a force of nature. He's uh, he's just a joy. He, I mean, anybody who is that joyous about his life uh, and the things he's able to do to help people and fearless about it, um, you know, you just you will you'll love him. Um, let's talk then about the we're, we're coming toward unfortunately coming toward the end of our hour. This goes really fast when I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about the academy and 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 about the conference. Okay. Um, well, I think I think it's interesting that the academy has always believed um, that there is um, a psychic world and. Um, <clears throat> that God is spiritual and not material. Not that they say the word God a lot, so no. um, yeah, you that don't I've have noticed to believe that. in God. You can believe in a universal force or, or, or whatever uh-huh. it is. Right. And um, that I just think it's wonderful that that's really what they have believed, and they've always pushed that, and they've always had very different speakers come in. And, you know, as long as that was, you know, what they believed in an afterlife, that they could talk and give their opinion and they would are willing to learn from other people's opinion. And I think the Academy still has that. I mean, no matter what kind of spiritual experience that you have, you know, if you bring it to us, we want to know more about it. And we yes. don't want to say, oh, well, that that's that's just one out of, you know, a million. And we don't like that one because it doesn't fit our model. No. In fact, William James said, that um, if it doesn't fit your model, he called it your white crow. You really had to study that experience, and what were you supposed to learn from that one? Yeah. So I, I really believe that that is really the academy's strongest force: is that we're willing to to listen to you and hear you and and help you in any way that we can. Um, yeah, L- lovely people, lovely that, giving you know, people. Years. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and Karen, Karen is is a therapist who's helping people who have had extraordinary experiences or had dysfunctional childhoods to sort of, uh, by looking beyond what the traditional therapist looks at and by looking at your whole situation and not judging you at all, Karen really is helping a lot of people. Karen, how do they reach you? Uh, they reach me, uh, my phone number is 732-530-8513. And I am in New Jersey, which I don't think we've said, um, but that's where I am physically. But I do Skype and FaceTime and phones. And um, then also you can go on my, you can get, send me an email at Karen, K-A-R-E-N, at Karen Herrick, H-E-R-R-I-C-K, dot com. And um, we work Monday through Thursday here, and we'll get back to you within 24 hours. That's great. That's that's. Um, I don't know that there's any other therapist who quite, I mean, there are, there are others who, who do grief therapy, which is something, um, Rochelle Wright is, was on just a, a few weeks ago, and she, um, does wonderful work in the area of healing grief. She's also going to be a presenter at the conference. Her methods are unique, but rapidly, because they work. Funny how if things work, they get a lot more attention. Um, They're they're rapidly expanding, but she will be, as I say, a presenter as well. The conference we're talking about is being put on by the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies. This is their 38th annual conference, which by itself is extraordinary. They're the the, the sort of grandfather in this field and always very focused on the academic aspects, only lately coming to expose, basically to to reveal those academic aspects to the world. Um, The conference will be held in July, ASCSI.org, ASCSI.org 
will take you to the website and then you'll be able to just click on the conference and see all the amazing people who are going to be there. Karen will be a presenter. Um, there, there's a present, the, uh, Victor Zamet um, is sort of the, the hoary head in this field. He's from Australia. He will be there. Um, I've never seen such a broad-based conference on anything, uh, never mind something as important as uh, communicating with the dead. Very, very um, extraordinary experience to, to, to be there, I'm sure. So click on that. Go look and see if it's something that would interest you. And, uh, and both Karen and I will be there. So we look forward to meeting you. Um, and if so, you can't so, come to the conference, because you know some people can't afford to that, even though it's very reasonable to fly to Scottsdale, just become a member of the um, ASCSI organization. And that costs $25 now, which is a very reasonable fee and will probably be raised in the future because it has been higher before. Uh, we're not sure about that, but right now it's $25. So anybody can, you know, just go without a few lunches and you've got $25. That's and right. Then That's you would right. Get our, and then you would get our newsletter every other month and, you know, be able to talk to us on email. Not that you can't without being a member, but you're, you're more included um, if you are a member and can get all of our literature and learn. And that's really what we're there for. We're to educate you on what has been yes. said in the past for this type of education that really hasn't been allowed to come out to the people. Um, it's and a wonderfully... A organization. Go ahead, what? It's, I was just going to say, it's a wonderfully friendly group of people. Nice um, group. I, you'll, you'll just like being part of this group. Um, and unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. We've been talking with Karen Herrick, who's president of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies. Uh, and so she'll be heading this conference in July. Uh, go to ASCSI.org for more information. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, A Bunch of Novels, and The Fun of Staying in Touch is due in August. This is going to be about how we are learning to contact the dead. And the news in this area is extraordinary. If any of these topics interest you, of course, you can always go to afterlifeforums.com with an S, afterlifeforums.com, and join the discussion there. And now go out and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.